0: But for the most part, you know, the interior modules can be adapted. Like, for instance, I have a customer who wants to have the sink in the middle with a window above it. So, something like that is relatively simple to incorporate. Whereas, if someone wanted the bathroom on the opposite end of the house, that would not be as <laughs> easy.
1: Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 224 with Aria Zanzanik from Wilderwise Tiny Homes. I've been seeing a lot of buzz about this company, WilderWise, so I decided to invite one of the founders, Arya Mazanek, on for an interview. WilderWise is taking a custom approach to just about every aspect of their tiny home builds. From the custom aluminum trailer that doubles as the floor foundation to the aluminum and SIP frame, what really sets these tiny homes apart is the fact that they expand to have a full height second floor once they are parked in place. In this interview, I'll ask Aria how the homes are built, how the second floor expansion works, and what makes them modular. Stick around for this interesting interview with Arya Mazanek. Let's face it, most tiny house dwellers want their tiny homes to be small, but not uncomfortable. That means reliable, unlimited hot water. Precision Temps propane-fired hot water heaters reliably provide unlimited hot water, and they're specifically designed with tiny homes in mind. In fact, the NSP-550 model was installed in my own tiny home, and the reason I chose it was because it did not require a large hole in the side of my home like other RV hot water heaters. Instead, it mounts discreetly through the floor of the tiny house and works quietly and reliably. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $50 off any unit plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP. So head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP at checkout. All right, I am here with Arya Mazanik. From a very young age, Arya knew that whatever career she chose to follow, her mission was to help people and the planet. After graduating college, she fundraised for environmental organizations and then worked in solar sales. It was at her solar sales job that she met her co-founder, a senior aerospace design engineer. He had created the concept of a two-story, lightweight, modular, off-grid tiny home that could be taken anywhere. He had the dream of disrupting the housing and construction markets and changing the world for the better. Aria was immediately inspired by his vision, seeing that this path was the perfect fit for what she wanted in her career. And Aria Mazanik of WilderWise, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ethan. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, happy to have you. So um, I kind of remember seeing like Zach Giffen, uh, like... Organization build a a pop up tiny house at one of the festivals, but it didn't look like it didn't look that stable. It didn't it didn't look like it would work that well. And so <laughs> I was really excited when I saw the concept and see that you're actually building them. Um, to have you on the show, so um, let's just start with um, can you kind of describe the house or what what is special about the house?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the big features, as you've already mentioned, is the two-story functionality. I actually talked to Zach Giffen about this. I believe it was earlier this year, last year, and he was really excited about what we were doing. It's something that is unlike any other two-story tiny house that's been created. Uh, A big difference Mm -hmm. is that our goal is to have them kind of in production and to to be producing them for multiple customers, it's not just a one-off where you know, someone parks it and then leaves it up. Yep. And it's just a simple request by a single customer. We know of a lot of people that are looking for something outside of like the traditional loft concept mm-hmm. and are looking for the ability to move the home themselves. So what we've done is created a system that is very user-friendly. So it only takes one person to operate. Uh, we use all industrial components in the lifting system and that makes it possible to lift and lower regularly if need be and to do it yourself. So it's designed to be very seamless and simple to use and to be in higher production and to kind of we're we're just promoting kind of an innovative new way of going about tiny homes. I know that tiny homes themselves are, are already an alternative living solution and ours kind of takes that to the next uh degree where you know we are Including all this new technology that can help people that are, you know, more tech focused and kind of keeping in line with like kind a, of a tech focused changing world, uh, we want to be able to appeal to those customers. Nice. Another of the big things is that we use an aluminum frame, and so it keeps the weight down quite a lot. So we have about 300 square feet on only a 21 foot trailer, and loaded as is about 9,000 pounds. So uh, we can tow it with an F250. My partner and I have traveled already over four thousand miles with it, so we really are putting it to the test and showing people what's possible with this kind of lifestyle
1: that's awesome and so the um the frame is aluminum, and then it looks like just from looking at your website are the kind of are the panels are they sips
0: they are our version of a sip panel, yes okay. yeah, so They have an aluminum framing and we use a grid on the inside and the Mm -hmm. insulation is part of the the structure. And what's really cool is they are modular. So they're designed to be able to be taken off and put back on if someone needs to assemble on site because they can't access their, say, their backyard because of a narrow access road. Mm -hmm. We can actually bring all of the modular building panels and the interior modules into the site through a standard five foot easement and then assemble on site if that's what the customer requires.
1: Cool. So it's like a, it's almost a hybrid SIP because there wouldn't really be a frame with a SIP build. Um, right. That's yeah. Really they're they're not a
0: traditional SIP. Yeah. yeah. We have our own like custom design that, you know, has a, it's a certain set of features like what I mentioned.
1: Awesome. And, you know, not asking you to give away any of the secret sauce, because I'm sure this is, <laughs> was the hardest thing to figure out, but. Can you talk about how that that kind of gap or that junction between the top and the main part of the house stays dry and stays insulated?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing is if for it to stay dry, that's a simpler part because the gap is not exposed, you know, to the sky where rain would come from. Mm hmm. So even it, when we don't have the seal closed and it's rained, it ha- we haven't had an issue with water getting in. Yep. But we have designed our own custom seal. I can give it in simple simplest terms, which is yep. one part of the seal is attached to the ledge on the lower wall. And then the other part of the seal is on a hinge. So when the roof is moving up and down, you pull back that second part, which is on a hinge. And when it's in position, the seal gets pushed back into place. It's a rubber foam seal and it creates a very tight tight pressure against that outer wall. Mm-hmm. And that keeps out moisture and air. And we also are including an expandable uh, netting, which is attached to both the upper wall and lower wall. So even if the seal is lifted because you're lifting or lowering, that prevents any bugs or particulates from getting into the home.
1: Cool. How, how long does it take to to raise and lower?
0: About ninety seconds, so pretty quick,
1: yeah. And (laughs) it's—I'm guessing it's motorized, right? You're not like cranking on something.
0: No cranking. No, it's it's an electric (laughs) actuator. Yeah. All of our future builds will be a 12 volt actuator, so you can actually Mm -hmm. power it with the use of just a battery, so you don't have to be plugged into the grid to lift and lower the roof. Uh, We also use a series of gas springs that keep everything balanced as it's going up and down, Mm -hmm. as well as a rail system which keeps everything smooth. And so before that ninety seconds happens. One of the big steps that has to uh, occur beforehand is moving all of the standalone gray cabinets that we have as part of the structure. So simply enough, uh, we have uh, upper cabinets which are attached to the ceiling and Mm -hmm. then their lower cabinets are standalone. So they're not actually attached to anything. Uh, So when we want to lower the roof, the lower cabinets get pulled out of place. You pick them up. Ah, uh, put them on the ground, on the sides of the bed, and in the middle of the um, kind of the lounge office space. Mm-hmm. Everything fits really well, kind of Tetris into the different spaces. And once the spaces on the sides are cleared, then the roof and the upper cabinets can come down in their place. So that takes probably another fifteen minutes or so. But in mm-hmm. general, it's it's a pretty simple process getting everything kind of set up for travel.
1: Okay. So you move some things around and then you, you lower, you lower the roof. Yeah. (laughs) And then does anything, uh, what's the height of the, of the house, you know, in both, in both configurations?
0: Yeah. So it's 17 feet tall Mm -hmm. when the roof is lifted and then it's 13 and a half feet tall when it's lowered. We've also incorporated a limiter into the actuator. Uh, in case there are height restrictions in certain areas, so there's are certain cities in California that have a 16 foot height restriction, so we'll have a limiter in place so that you can be within the height restrictions.
2: Got there. it. Got it.
0: And on the inside, you have on an on average uh, six six and a half feet of headroom on the upper level.
1: Okay, so tall enough for somebody who's fairly tall to stand up in the loft. I guess you don't yeah. even have to call it a loft. It's a it's, it's an upstairs. It's actually not a loft. Yes, yeah. it
0: is considered a full second story. Yeah, if it's six and a half feet or more, it is technically considered a second story and not a loft. It also contributes to the square footage, so we have right. uh, more than double the square footage on a much smaller footprint, which is one of our big goals in maximizing land space that it's available, yeah. uh, allowing people to park in tighter spots or in smaller backyards, and really maximizing the real estate so that it can be used and lived in, and uh, people can have you know their 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 space for themselves
1: yeah yeah absolutely that's that's really cool i mean so are the windows in the upstairs on the part that slides up and down or are they on the the bottom and what are the what's what do you refer to these the top and bottom piece as because i feel like i'm not saying the right thing
2: (laughs) um
0: i would call it like the the roof module or the upper walls Okay. And then the, the lower walls would be kind of what's static and what's actually, okay. you know, secured to the trailer. Uh, the windows are on the upper roof module. You can see one of the windows behind me. Okay. And the way it's designed, it doesn't come in contact with it when when uh, the roof is moving up and down. Cool. cool. But we also don't have any electrical components in the roof. So we have this kind of nice ambient string lighting that goes around the edges. Um, mm-hmm. Actually has a nice effect and also has a functional purpose too. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm guessing all the the power outlets are in the lower module, which are probably at a good height for outlets in the upstairs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like a standard height that you would find for just residential outlets. Um, And one of the things that we've done to um, support the modularity of everything is all of the wiring is on the outside of the walls okay, covered by some trim. And so that way, if it needed to be taken apart to be assembled on site, all of the wiring is not affected and you don't have to cut open the wall. So one of the design considerations.
1: Nice. So when you say on the outside, you mean like surface mounted on the inside of the living space?
0: Yes. The innermost wall. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's not contained with behind like, you know, the the drywall or yeah.
1: (laughs) Got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so you mentioned interior modules. Can you talk about like what modules there are and like how much customization you know, when somebody orders one of these homes, they mm-hmm. can say like, I want, you know, what what options are there in terms of what modules you, you pick?
0: Yeah, sure. So the modules are like the kitchen module where the stovetop and, and oven is. And then there's a staircase module, which has the fridge and the washer dryer,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the bathroom module as well. So for our first set of customers, we are kind of keeping them mostly standard. The uh, cabinetry can be updated. Like if you want closed cabinets, open cabinets, if you want a window instead, things like that can be updated, but the general like floor plan, uh, is staying the same because that's helping us to get into full production and have all of our systems in place. But for the most part, yeah, we, we take, take customer customization requests kind of case by case, certain things we're integrating as, as, um, standard options. And then I have some mm-hmm. customers who have, you know, a long list of things that they want and we do our best to include those as long as it doesn't disrupt the uh, the engineering and the the practical functionality of the home and all of the te- technology that it has uh, but for the most part you know the interior modules can be adapted like for instance i have a customer who wants to have the sink in the middle with a window above it so something like that is relatively simple to incorporate Whereas if someone wanted the bathroom on the opposite end of the house, that would not be as easy.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: yeah, that that sounds like it might not be quite as easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were talking about the the panels before. Um, mm-hmm. do you know what the the like approximate R value and you know insulation is of the house?
0: Yeah. So o- overall, it's about R twenty four. I believe the ceiling is more than R thirty the walls being R27. I think the trailer has the least amount. I think it's R21. So it averages out to about R24 overall, which is mm-hmm. great for moderate temperatures. And then I have, for instance, some potential customers in Colorado who are looking for like a winterized model. And yep. so that's something that we're looking at doing with um, like a steeper pitched roof and additional thicker insulation in the wall.
1: Thicker insulation in the walls. Yeah. And with that... Well... I'm not an engineer but I'm like imagining oh my god this like whole thing needs to be and re-engineered for that.
0: <laughs> there is definitely some additional engineering work that will go into it. I have I have four engineers on my team so they're always hard at work making sure that everything works together and I have gotten much more involved in the engineering process than um you know I expected because I'm working with with so many engineers and I have discovered how changing one little thing affects everything else to a degree and so yeah. there's always design decisions that come into play with like oh we want to make the staircase extend a bit further in both directions we want the staircase to be less deep okay well then how does this affect where the appliances go how does this affect the floor space and what bed size can fit how does this affect the like the opening where as you're walking in and how does that affect where you know the bed and the cabinets are so there's all these variables. And so one thing we've learned is to, you know, set set certain expectations and also, you know, be willing to make certain little sacrifices and decide what the priority is for certain design decisions and where yeah. like small sacrifices can, can be made. Yeah. And uh, it's a big part of kind of the redesign and engineering process with both improving the product as well as incorporating, you know, customers' requests and what they're looking for.
1: Yeah. I asked John and Finn Kernahan of United Tiny House Association what they love about their Precision Temp hot water heaters, and here's what they told me.
3: Hey, Ethan, uh, this is uh, John and Finn Kernahan with United Tiny House Association. We organize tiny house festival. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Plus and foremost. We have a total of three Precision Temp uh, on-demand hot water heaters. The the thing we really like about these, and and folks know this, I think they picked this up on Finn and I, if we don't like something you'll never hear us talk about it so the two things we noticed uh, that, that we noticed and experienced immediately uh, they took painstaking effort to make sure that it was done right and installed and so that that was pretty cool right there the other thing is the continuous on demand hot water that just ran forever without any fluctuations or anything i i can't imagine an application, especially in our environment and our lifestyle of being the, the the nomad, uh, transportable mobile, uh, tiny lifestyle where, um, one of these units aren't, um, uh,
2: good to use.
1: You know, in terms of what comes with the house, it looks like it's, it's more finished out than, you know, your typical tiny house might be like, Mm -hmm. it looks like like the toilet and the solar maybe come with the house?
0: So the, the solar is extra. That's probably okay. the most expensive add-on. All the batteries yeah. and panels do come at an extra cost. The goal is to make you know the whole electrical system to be solar ready so mm-hmm. that people can add those things at a later point if they would like to. And for the most part, yeah, everything that you'd see and you know, the photographs we have online, uh, mm-hmm. most of those things are included in the build. With the exception of some of the appliances, uh, people have a lot of different preferences and what kind of appliances: gas, electric, dishwasher, no, sure. you know, no stove, whatever it might be. So that that is customizable to an extent. Like if they're going to be off grid or on grid, that would change <laughs> those selections. So we've tried to include everything with the base model that we see as being like a common choice for everybody. Everybody's going to want these things. And then, as we've gotten more feedback, we're finding oh, people want to put in their own uh, dresser, or they want to put in you know like the different appliances or whatever it might be. Then those things we'll have as as options and add-ons.
1: Got it. Got it. Is the trailer itself aluminum as well?
0: It is. Yes. So the trailer is aluminum. We are a licensed uh, trailer manufacturer in the state of California. Mm-hmm. So it is custom designed, uh, aluminum frame. The only parts that are uh, steel are the tongue of the trailer and the axles.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So those parts have to be steel to keep the weight distribution proper. And also for just the, all of the pressure that they, it gets constantly when it's on the road. Yeah. But what's really cool about our trailer is that we've created it to be a uh, pretty tall. So the thickness and height is probably bigger than you've seen before. And that's because we are containing all of our water tanks and batteries within the trailers. They all have their own components, uh, which is great for storage purposes, but also having that added weight at the bottom makes the the driving more stable and in windy conditions, even when you're parked um, having that additional weight in the trailer is really great for stability.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also just, the fact that the trailer itself is the floor or is the frame for the floor and you're not kind of building another thing on top of that, like that is it.
0: Yes. Yeah. It also contributes to the the modularity of everything. So mm-hmm. the way we have all the beams and posts bolted into the trailer at all is, uh, it wouldn't have been possible with, you know, a, a trailer we just bought off the shelf.
1: Right. Right. And Or the house would be a whole lot heavier because I would imagine that. That's yeah. a significant weight savings going from a steel to an aluminum trailer.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. And then the rest of the framing is also aluminum. So that's right. a great thing about aluminum as well is that it doesn't rot or mold like wood might. And it also doesn't rust. So steel does rust, especially if it's painted. Oh, yeah. Whereas aluminum just does not have that property.
1: Yeah. No, aluminum makes a lot of sense for for tiny house trailers. and And I know... I don't know off the top of my head. I know there's like one company that's making you know aluminum tiny house trailers that people can buy yeah. to build on, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. they do save a significant amount of weight. But they're, I mean, yeah. aluminum is expensive as a material.
0: Yeah, it's it's from what I know, and I'm not the main person handling our supply chain. It's mm-hmm. not too different from steel, but it's the manipulation of it that takes mm-hmm. more time, and you have to have a specialty welder to do it. Yeah. So like the yep. process of working with it is more extensive which i think probably adds to the final cost when it's being sold as like a finished product yeah and uh, the other component of it is that it uh it can expand and contract slightly uh, with changing temperatures mm-hmm. so when designing the rest of the house you have to keep in mind that there's a very slight amount of expansion and so all the components need to be able to kind of account for that so and- Another uh, engineering consideration.
1: <laughs> nice. Who would you say the Wilderwise house is like? Who's your kind of ideal customer? Or what's your customer avatar that you have in mind when you designed a tiny house that was modular in this way and that could you know raise up and, and lower down?
0: Yeah, I I think that there's like a few different like main customer groups. Mm-hmm. I would say the first is. Kind of young professionals, people that maybe are working remotely now, especially after or amidst the COVID pandemic, where people are working from home and maybe want to have the ability to live in multiple different places throughout the year, or at least have the ability to, to bring their home with them and have, you know, that, that, that level of flexibility. I think that this is a great like first home so it's it's really geared towards the you know next generation of home buyers ones mm-hmm. that are looking for something lower cost they don't want to be you know tied down by a mortgage a huge mortgage payment um, and want the flexibility of just being able to take their home with them and having it have a lot of high tech features that fit the lifestyle that they already are living I mean, you've we've seen the, you know, growing of the like van life movement and the RV life movement, and that's become a huge popular lifestyle change for people, say, in their twenties and thirties. And although a tiny house like this one is not as mobile as a van would be, it definitely still is on that same kind of trajectory where people don't want to be stuck in one place. They want to have the ability to, you know, go where life takes them. And um, especially for younger people, the other uh, category I would say is like retirees. Mm -hmm. And we, I mean, that's, I think probably the biggest group of people that are buying tiny houses. So people who a lot of times are, you know, want to live smaller, want to be closer to their family. We have uh, a design in the works for actually a uh, lifting platform, like a little one person elevator that goes uh, in the place of the stairwell. So that would be geared towards people who wouldn't be able to go up and down stairs as regularly. Mm -hmm. And then of course, there is the uh, customer who already has a property. And they are, you know, wanting to put something uh, in their backyard, but maybe don't have an accessible backyard. So that's where that modularity comes into play. I have talked to people that you know, they have a narrow access road to their backyard, but then they can't get a tiny home craned in because it's on a slope or the spot that they want to put it is really far back. You can't get a vehicle back there. So it's, um, the goal is to really use untapped real estate in those spaces. And there's a lot of people, like especially in California, where they have passed ADU laws allowing tiny homes on wheels. Mm-hmm. People that have that their mortgages are so expensive uh, the state itself just the, the cost of living is so high that people need additional source of income. And so this is really geared towards helping out those people, providing more housing for those that are being pushed out of their apartments, as well as landowners that that need a little extra income to pay off the mortgage and to afford to live in such an expensive
1: state. <laughs> yeah. What what kind of financing options are there?
0: So we are working on financing options. Uh, I have a couple lenders in mind. Um, We have a few more things that we kind of have to finalize before we can offer that to customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of those things is setting up our additional facility in Tucson, which is what we're planning to do this year. But the two biggest tiny home lenders that I know of are uh, Liberty Bank of Utah and 21st Century Mortgage in Tennessee, I believe. So we're in, Mm -hmm. in conversations with both of those And just have a couple more requirements that we're looking to fill in the next few months. At that point, we'll be able to offer financing, which is great because I have 20 some people on my wait list uh, that I've put um, refundable deposits down that are wanting to purchase one, but they're waiting for the financing. So I think that once we get that settled, we'll really be able to, you know, tap into a much larger market.
1: (laughs) Yeah. How, um... What's the manufacture process like and, and how, you know, what's your capacity right now? And what's the plan for the next year or two, five?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I actually just have been working on production scalability analysis with my team and seeing kind of at what point we can get to certain capacities. At this point, as some contacts, it took us about six months to build the first build that we did, which is where I'm sitting now and um it's taking about three months to do the next one and then the next six or seven that are on our our build list currently are going to be closer to a month to a month and a half and each time we build one it'll get shorter and shorter Uh, our capacity in the production facility we currently have can go up to about four to five per month so that's just a matter of having enough resources being able to buy the inventory and have enough people involved but that's kind of how we see it. So right now, about one month per build, eventually four to five builds per month. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if we can expand into you know, a much larger facility, the production is designed to be highly scalable. So we could be upwards of the point of even like 100 plus per month, just because that's... From the very beginning, our our goal was to create a home that could be eventually... a a home that's in serial production because there is such a housing shortage. It's been this way for 10 plus years where every single year there's less homes being built than people that need the homes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So having scalable production and being able to get to a point where we can be cranking out homes on the regular and installing Mm -hmm. them on properties is going to make a huge difference in the housing crisis that we face think in that time you know the time now we're building say one per month up to the point where we're building say 50 per month mm-hmm. that'll take of course a few years but that'll give enough time for the legislation to pass that allows these kinds of homes in more places and for laws to be you know zoning laws to change and all of that's already happening uh so i think we're kind of right in, at the right point in this you know the tiny house industry's trajectory where you know, in the next few years, it's going to be a lot easier to place these and there's going to be more builders that can produce them faster, which means that more more and more people will be in a better position to find housing that's affordable to them and that they love and that can empower them to live their best lives. So that's that's what we're going for.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been really feeling like the financing piece is kind of the kind of most important and missing piece of the puzzle for a lot of tiny homes. To make yeah. them accessible to those who you know currently can't afford housing,
0: right? And
1: yes, you that's know,
0: that's a big big component. Um, And like I said, there's only two main ones that really do it yeah. as a, on a longer term basis. There's a bunch yeah. that do. It's like you have to pay it off in five years, and interest rates are really high, and people are looking to have more of like a fifteen to twenty five year loan. Yeah, I've talked to lenders, and it, it's it's a lot of figuring out the details because at this point. The be, being on wheels and it being a full-time dwelling, those are like the two contrasting opponents in what tiny homes offer. And so it's just, it takes time for those lenders and financing yeah. companies to find a way to offer it. And, you know, I guess to reduce their liability, I'm sure is a big part of it too. But um, there's definitely a need there. So I think that when it becomes more obvious to the big players in the in the game that we're going to be seeing more, uh, more lenders come in with, with new loan options, so.
1: Yeah. And what is, you know, for somebody just paying cash or or financing outside, what, you know, what's the starting price of of one of the homes?
0: So, normally starting at 85,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most people will be paying between like 85 and 100,000 for yeah. their home unless they're doing a full off-grid setup which uh can be 20 to 30 on top of that. Yeah. With solar and batteries and all of that. But we also currently have a couple spots left at a lower price point. of promotion we're doing for our first ten customers, starting at seventy-five thousand. So nice. we sold uh, eight of those spots, and I'm in conversation with a couple more people to fill the other two.
1: Nice. And those are those are pay in full spots.
0: Yes. Yeah. It, it's a cash paid builds um, either pay in full or do fifty percent and then in increments until the build's completed. Got it. Got it. So that's a, it's a reward for being our first customer. They're gonna be very integral to, you know, our options that are available and you know, what colors we're gonna offer and just you know, supporting us and giving feedback. And so those people are we're calling them our early adopter, early innovators of this new product that'll kind of help get everything off the ground and gain more exposure to the the technology that we're we're building out and offering to nice. The
1: what other um, kind of interesting technology are you incorporating in the house that, that you, you don't see in, in other tiny homes?
0: Yeah, so I guess so. I already mentioned the main things, the lifting roof, yep. the, the little person elevator. Uh, we're looking to also incorporate slide outs as an option because ah. the walls are modular. They can be taken off and a modular slide out can be added instead. The, uh, we're also looking at making the home just as, as like a total smart home. So, mm-hmm. having everything integrated into a control panel where you can manage the levels of the uh, the tanks and your battery storage as well as controlling you know the blinds and the lights and you know the different electrical components of the house you'd have the, the ability to really live in a smart home high tech space that can really suit all of your needs and make life just as convenient as possible a lot of right. what we're doing is convenient living solutions. Um, Another of our big kind of visions as well is to not only be building the homes themselves, but to support the entire system and process of moving into one of these spaces. And a lot of times that means finding the land as well and being able to hook up to the land, monitor monitor your utilities and your um, energy usage, water usage. So uh, we're looking at building kind of a second piece of hardware Which would be like a smart meter that can track utility usage. So, say if you're parking on someone else's property and you're using their land, our platform and hardware would manage rent payments as well as your utility usage so that it can be kind of a more seamless process for people. We would also include the ability for people with tiny homes to find land to put it on uh, hosts, per se, you know, people that, you know, can can provide all of the necessary. Uh, Hookups as well as the land available, and to kind of make that process as seamless as possible. Kind of going towards both residential um, locations, but also expanding out to more community-based, you know, land sharing opportunities for people. Which I know a lot of people really want. They want to live in tiny house communities, and right now there's just not enough of them. So we're 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 looking to partner with with other companies. I already have some contacts that I'm working with that. Uh, actually buying the land, setting up the communities, building the homes and having everything kind of be convenient, seamless process for people to find and find housing and to be, you know, really loving where they're living. So that's really important to us.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is... um. Are there two or three like books or resources, people, YouTube channels, really anything open-ended? Just recommendations for for our listeners for for anything that's inspired you or or, or helped teach you in this process.
2: Yeah,
0: um, I I mean I'm a big advocate. You've probably already gotten this answer, but uh, the folks over at the uh, at Tiny House Expedition they did a <laughs> video of us, and they post a lot of really great videos that offer. Great resources for learning about going tiny. My good friend uh, Lindsay Wood. She has a tiny academy that she's starting out uh, that helps people to find the land, understand the build process, what to look for, that kind of thing. So we're always collaborating and and helping one another. But she she's a wealth of of knowledge about you know mm-hmm. that whole process. So I always go to her, and yeah, and then the the folks over at Tiny House Expedition.
2: Awesome. Well, RM is that
1: go ahead. Yeah.
0: I was gonna I just remember one other thing. Just the, the Tiny House Industry Association as well. They have tons of resources and they're really the ones that are advocating for tiny living. Yeah. So I would definitely go to them as well. And I just want to add one other quick thing. Something else that's really unique. I know you had asked this before, is that myself and my partner, my boyfriend we have been traveling in the home for the last month and we'll be doing so for another two months. So what's really cool about our company is that we're not only builders of this new product, but we're also living in the home and you know, utilizing it, taking it to extreme lengths to test its capabilities, providing feedback to our engineers and build team, as well as taking feedback from customers so that we can really improve the p- product to the greatest extent. We can also show people kind of what's possible with this lifestyle, as well as being able to share insights, like really insider insights on what it's like to live in this kind of space, what it's like to travel with it, what kind of car we need to tow it, you know, what it's like being on the road and, and living in a small space with another person. Yeah. So we can offer not only like the lifestyle feedback, but also the kind of technical feedback. And I think that having that really well-rounded insight is really really valuable to customers so I've been able to connect with people on so many different levels as not only a builder but also as a tiny house dweller and um, that kind of adds to what makes our offering and our company so so special
1: how How many of them are in existence at this point?
0: there is one in existence I'm currently residing in it and we are in the process of building number two. Uh, which is going to a customer in Arizona, and then we are in the process of buying all the materials for uh, number two and three.
1: Nice, <laughs> yeah. And um, where can you know this? This podcast episode will kind of live on forever. But um, you know, if if anyone ends up listening during the summer of twenty twenty two, where can they go and see one in person? Are you doing any festivals or things coming up?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we just finished two events in Colorado. We are headed to a show in Sacramento in August. Uh, it's a tri-county home and garden show, I believe. And then also Tiny Fest in September, which is in Pleasanton. So those are our two shows that are on our schedule. We might add a couple shows uh, in the winter time, but it's kind of up in the air depending on how everything else is going. But generally, there's also we're available for private tours in Tucson, Arizona, and also sometimes in Southern California, which are our two kind of home bases where we have the, cool. the house. Cool. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, now we'll wrap up. So Aria Mazzani, <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. This was, this is really interesting. I, I loved learning about <laughs> Wilderwise homes.
0: The wilder <laughs> homes. The wilder homes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pleasure, pleasure talking to you, Ethan. And thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much to Aria Mazanek from Wilderwise Tiny Homes for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a complete transcript, video tour of the Wilderwise home, and lots of photos over at thetinyhouse.net slash 224. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 224. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be
2: back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.